0: This episode is brought to you by the Sneaky Treat Company Melbourne. Hi there, thanks for joining me on the Move Me podcast, episode 6. I'm Julie Reynolds and in this episode you'll hear from another wild man of Aussie rock, Dave Gleason. He's lucky enough to be part of two iconic Aussie bands, the Angels, most recently, and, of course, the Screaming Jets. And in our chat coming up, we concentrated on the Jets, how they got there, some little-known facts, a lot of laughs. You'll hear why he was seen sitting on Michael Hutchence's lap in Germany. Oh, yeah, it's a fun ride. It always is with Gleeso. Most recently seen streaming Not Screaming on a Facebook Live concert series filmed live at the Gov Sundays in Adelaide, a rollicking good time great music and he's got the stories as you'll hear in a moment when we say g'day to Dave Gleeson on the Move Me podcast. Let's kick it off with a bit of a history lesson. The Screaming Jets, I know that they had a different name before they became the Jets. What was it and when was your first gig?
1: 1989 we did our first show as a band called The Love Bombs because we'd been a band Called aspect a cover band uh, for about four years before that, and when we kind of made the transition into becoming a band that we wanted to take to the world and elsewhere, had a bunch of original songs as well as some covers that we 'd uh, put in dream police I seem oh, to remember of doing. <laughs> No-one ever cared about my vocal range. So were always like, really? let's do Dream Police. I'd be like, have you heard Dream Police? <laughs> have you heard me sing? So, yeah, we uh, we did a bunch of songs uh, at, a, at a pub across the road from where I lived called uh, The Marcus O'Lorne's The Love Bombs. That was our first ever line-up of the Jets, which was Paul Wazine, Grant Walsie, myself, Brad Heaney and Richard Lara.
0: I can remember seeing an interview of you on Newcastle Television, <laughs> and it was possibly just after the big earthquake. Yep. So that would have been about eighty nine. Yep. And you you're a, a, a little different version of Dave Gleason.
1: <laughs> I was much more laid back. <laughs> you <for some> were <laughs> laid back <laughs> for some reason.
0: And Grant was the chatty one.
1: He said, "Well, he said," and that was I think that was our first major interview, and uh, it was with John Church, who was a Newcastle media identity. And he said, so what's the plan for this band in <laughs> said. World domination. <laughs> Meanwhile, Paul and Dave
0: are like, really, are we?
1: <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> okay. Well, that sounds like a good right. enough start. <laughs> sure. I didn't have anything else to do. That's <laughs> fine.
0: And it's funny how the way it works. When you were singing Dream Police, did you think that you would ever be on the bill and your other band that you're in, the Angels, that you would be touring around with Cheap Trick and no. listening to them their version. Did you think that that guy Dave Gleeson would do world domination?
1: No. Well, it was uh, it was only a few years ago. Actually, we were having uh, dinner with Cheap Trick on the tour when we were in New Mate Zealand. Drop, I'll just pick yeah, that up. there it is. And uh, <laughs> and I was telling Robin. Of course, picked that up. We they took us out. It's Friday. The thir- uh, that was a uh, Good Friday yep. in uh, in New Zealand, and we went to the only restaurant that was open. And they bought us dinner. The whole Angels band and I was telling uh, Robin that I used to sing Dream Police. He said, "Really? <laughs> it doesn't sound like you're it, It's in your vocal range." I go, "Well, it wasn't." But anyway, but yeah. So look to to be doing all the stuff I've done over the last thirty years with uh, touring with the Angels, interviewing Chris Cornell. Um, Sitting on Michael Hutchins' knee, uh, or actually, Helene Christensen's knee next to Michael Hutchins, <laughs> all that stuff. Well, if was... there
0: is a choice, <laughs> and you're Dave Gleason. So, what's, uh, you had to have started somewhere, like you had to have been that kid that was always insert whatever it was that you were doing. What's the start and what's the correlation between you and
1: Boris? Bobby Pickett. Oh, the first song I ever sung was um, The Monster's Holiday. <laughs> the holidays, <okay. laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, well, that was, yeah, I was, I was 12 years old.
0: What I want to know is, why wasn't it Monster Mash? <laughs> like, who ever heard of Monster's Holiday? Well, um,
1: it was just one of those, we, we were down at the, at the Cardiff Workers Club, which is down the road from my house, and uh, I was with friends of our family. I was only 12 years old. It's a licensed v- venue, obviously. Yeah. But they had a family disco on a Friday night um, and they had a talent contest and, and there was a guy that I went to school with, he was a year younger than me, Paul Kerr. For some reason we just ended up saying, well, let's go in this. And the only song that we knew between us right. was The Monsters Holiday. It must have been...
0: You know what's funny? I've never heard of that song oh, one of those
1: It goes... Um, I jumped into bed and I covered up my head, said I'm going to get a good night's sleep. Got woke up about 12 o'clock and I jumped right to my feet. There were monsters and goblins groaning and groaning, buddy, what an awful sight. Uh, Yeah, something like that. Et
0: cetera, et cetera,
1: et cetera. Et cetera, et cetera, yeah. So we knew that song and we got up and did it.
0: Which sounds a bit country because that's probably a little known fact. Country's a a big love for you, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. Probably my first love. The first album that I ever bought, well. After The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, which was a uh, the story of Ichabod Crane, <laughs> a <laughs> Disney album. Yeah. Um, was uh, 20 Country Greats. And the story behind that is yes, please. I was walking down the, walking home from school one day, I found $10. And this is 1979, 78, so I'm 10, 11 years old. So
0: that's about 50 bucks.
1: Oh, easy 50 Reach. bucks. Rich. So I went home, I said to Mum, I found 10 bucks. She said, well, where'd you find it? I said, just down just down the road from our place. She said, well, come and get in the car. It was raining. Come and get in the car. So I got in the car and I had to go and knock on every door in that street, maybe 20 houses, knock on the door and ask them if they'd lost $10. All right. With mum sitting in the car. So anyway, after I got back in the car drenched with that $10 and no one had t- I think maybe someone did own it but we thought, well, how's this poor kid having to walk around? Anyway, so we went down to Garden City, which is a shopping centre down the road uh, on the Saturday after that and she said, you can do whatever you like with that 10 bucks." So I went into Sound World and I bought a <laughs> a full-size rubber Gorilla, scary gorilla mask. Of course you did. You know the ones that you put yeah. right over your head? Yeah, of course. I'd, they were $9.99. Oh. Anyway, so we all get back in the car after we've been shopping and I say, look what I bought. And mum lost it. <laughs> she went, oh, that is ridiculous. Who sold you that? So she took me back into the shop <laughs> crying. She absolutely bawled the guy out. I got my 10 bucks back and then I, I ended up buying for three ninety nine or 4 20 country greats, which had... Among other things, uh, Harbour Valley PTA, but it had Slim Dusty. The yeah. biggest disappointment in the family was me. <laughs> and that became my theme song from that day on. <laughs> well, you do have a big family, don't you, Dave? I do. I have three brothers and four sisters.
0: Are you the youngest?
1: No, I'm one of the middle children. Well, oh, which okay. Is why, yep. Which is why. fair enough. That's led me to where I am today as well. <laughs> of course.
0: Well. <laughs> you obviously found it quite easy singing in front of people.
1: I used to, when I was surfing, they, there was a couple of blokes called me Elvis because I'd sing out the back, I'd sing when I was sitting on our boards and I'd just be singing. I don't know, it was just something that I I did and I'd sing on the bus and I'd walk around. I remember when I was at high school early on walking around just singing for the longest time because that was the Billy Joel song that was out at the time. And that's kind of what led me to being asked to be in a band was I... um, You
0: walk past somebody with a guitar singing. Well, Grant Wormsley
1: (laughs) was, uh, I sang at Mass, at the Year year 8 Mass. Yep. The Hounds of Heaven or something, some... Catholic song. And after that, Grant Walmsley, who I kind of knew a little bit from surfing and that, but I wasn't in his group or anything, he said to me that he had a band, him and Frank, the drummer. Yeah. Would I like to come along and sing? So I bought myself a a realistic microphone from Tandy's. Yep. And plugged it into there to Frank's stereo down in the Rumpus room. And that was the very beginning of. Of, of it all and then um, our first gig was at the Year 10 formal, so I was in Year 11 by that stage. But, yeah, it must have been the Year 10 mass that I sang at. Yeah. So I was in Year 11 and we did our first gig uh, playing at the Year 10 formal for our school.
0: So. And were you popular after that? <laughs>
1: oh, it, was, it certainly gave us a little bit of notoriety. <laughs> but I do remember uh, the Year 10 guys all came round to Frank's Rumpus Room which had this plush green shag pile carpet and... The Year 10 uh, Student Council, five or six of them, and Brother William in his full brother stuff, in his white <laughs> cassock and black belt round and that, they came out and we auditioned for him for the school <laughs>
0: <dance>. <laughs> So then it's it grew into something. Yep. Obviously you got popularity around Newcastle. Yes. Then was it uh, Triple J?
1: The- yeah, the Triple J Battle of the Bands. We won that um, towards the end of 1989. I just saw that in a diary of mine the other day actually. We did, we went in like three heats and then the semis and then the finals and, and, and uh, our big thing was we organised buses, mini buses, like eight of them, to take down people to Salinas in Sydney. Your friends? Uh, so yeah. along. Yeah. So, I mean, we'd spent three years or so as Aspect or four years building up a bit of a fan base. So when the Jets started, uh, we carried a lot, a lot of those people along with us and yeah, we were rocking up with 70 or 80, 70 or 80 people to uh, <laughs> Salinas to cheer us on. <laughs> And uh, that was that was part of the judging criteria was the crowd reaction. So we, uh, we, I, I remember when we won the final. Uh, I think the girl's name was Lisa Edwards. She was kind of singing. She did a set uh, between when the final, the last band in the final played, and while they were correlating the vote. Our whole crowd <laughs> was yelling out while she was on stage. The whole crowd was yelling out, "Jets, jets, jets, <laughs> jets!" And she kind of, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't great for her. they were raucous Newcastle people, so was, well, that's good. Mm, yeah.
0: And it must, for you guys, it must have been, you know, your tyres must have been pumped up. Oh,
1: absolutely. You must
0: have thought, right, we are the biggest band in the world, we are the next ACDC.
1: Well, it, well the, the previous band that had won the, with the a national battle of the bands was um, the Hoadley's Battle of the Bands oh, yes. in 1972 was the last time they'd done that and Fraternity featuring Bon Scott uh, on go. the flute. yeah <laughs> I
0: know. So. <laughs> How times do change.
1: Yeah, then Better came along and... and rest, as they say,
0: is history. And then you started doing film clips. Apparently, uh, you know, you weren't making a lot of money at that time because you couldn't afford a shirt.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have said, looking back at (laughs) those film clips.
0: How many film clips were there? Could someone have said, Dave,
1: (laughs) put a shirt on? Bond, I mean, Bond, my favourite Bond stuff is him not wearing a, shirt. Wear a shirt. What about Bond in, uh, when they got interviewed in London in like 1975? Hot when pants. When they're all <laughs> running around the streets, he's got his hot denim shorts on, thongs, and no shirt. <laughs> <laughs> what, well, running around the streets of London, people must have thought they'd be Australians. Yes, it's Australian. <laughs>
0: better now that's got to be one of the most i this episode is brought to you by the sneaky treat company melbourne decadent sweet treats delivered to your door let your friends family or clients know that you're thinking of them with a box of goodies and a personalized note to send along with your gift the sneakytreatco.com you know you want to australian songs there is
1: yeah, we're very lucky that it's uh, pretty timeless.
0: It's one of those songs that every time you buy the greatest rock songs of Australia...
1: Beer drinking, beer barbecue, drinking songs, ute songs. The greatest Australian <laughs> tracks
0: ever heard ever. Better yeah. is always on it.
1: We're very lucky. Grant Walsey wrote that very early on. I still remember the room we used to rehearse that song in. It was uh, had very bad... Electricity grounding, and you couldn't oh. you couldn't get close to each other, or you'd get an electric shock. We could all be dead. That was the uh, the, the bottom line of that. But I, I remember going through that that song in uh, in the studio, and we all just loved it instantly. It was easy to play. It was, had a great melody, and uh, and I'm going to say it right here. I think it was me who came up with one, two, three, four. Uh, to go into the double time bit. <laughs> well, you've got and,
0: – and you know what? You've got to have a thing.
1: That's right, Every song's that's got
0: to have a thing, doesn't yes, it? Yes, indeed. That people wait for.
1: Yeah, and I mean to, to have that now, as you say, on, on all those albums and if you go out to – what do they call them now a Nightclub disco or something like that. If you go out and there's a DJ playing, not like Moby or one of those <laughs>
0: You mean dudes. more like me. <laughs> yeah,
1: you're like your good self. Um, you're going to hear K-San. Yeah. You're going to hear Throw Your Arms Around Me. You're going to hear Daddy Cool, uh, um, Eagle, rock, Eagle Rock, Run to Paradise, and you're going to hear better. And of that's you are. that's a huge, huge thing to uh, to be a part of. And uh, as I say, I didn't write it, but uh, to to know that that's that's part of the Australian rock music psyche is a, a very gratifying thing,
0: and always will be. And one of these days, you'll probably end up in the. National Film and Sound Library with one, two, three, four, And you'll go, I did that. It'll that was actually me. be me. It won't
1: be a dummy or, or an AI thing. It'll be me going, oh, I
0: said that. I said that. That was, that was me. You're welcome, Australia. I have heard uh, a couple of songs of yours in an American movie yep. which should have made you oh, I know. worldwide sensations.
1: Mm. When someone said to us uh, there's a movie with Mickey Rourke and Don Johnson. Two of the biggest stars in the world at the time. They said, this is a movie that can't fail. They want to use two of your songs, Stop the World and Come On, both of which I'd written. Oh, really? Um, and so I was, you know, it wasn't like I got any money. The band got money, but yeah. in those days money would go into the machine and <laughs> rock <laughs> Wherever rock, <it> went. <laughs> rock would come out. And it was called Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. And I can hear your listeners going, what? It's I've called seen what? It. It's terrible. But, yeah, it was a massive failure. <laughs> um, but, but it shouldn't have been No It had all the stuff There was ticks all over it I don't know who directed it or whatever But uh, it bombed
0: You didn't stay in Australia no, You no, sort of packed your bags and left pretty, pretty quickly
1: well, Pretty well straight away um, Our manager Before we'd even done our first massive tour to our detriment, I think, in, <laughs> in hindsight. He went over and set up an office in New York. Uh, we had a lot of uh, interest from um, Warren Entner Management, who managed uh, Faith No More and L7 at the time, uh, and a few other different people. But, uh, yeah, it just didn't work out. I, he, was, he, was, he was a first-time manager. Um, went over into a very big pond as a, quite a small fish. And uh, we did a, a couple of uh, national tours over there supporting bands, um... Uh, that didn't go quite as well as we'd we'd hoped, you know.
0: uh. Well, you're all young, inexperienced. You probably didn't have people to rein you in if they were inexperienced (laughs) as well. That's
1: right. Well, I often say that about our first manager, that he was on the wrong side of the camera. I think think he was kind of more like our sixth member than our uh, representative.
0: You've come back to Australia. There's a few changes in lineup. Yep. Uh I think you lost your guitarist and your drummer.
1: Yeah, Brad Heaney went uh, while we were on tour and we had the biggest gig of our lives only about three weeks after that and we had to quickly find a drummer and work him in and that probably didn't go as well for us as it could have because he was kind of, you know, we, we, it was a bit amateurish yeah. um, having a, a brand-new drummer in front of 20,000 people at the Rock Am Ring in Germany. But that's also where In Excess got me up. Michael yes. asked me to get up and sing with them. And uh, Sorry,
0: you just really glossed over that. That was also where I uh, got up and <laughs> sang with In Excess. So let's go back a bit. You're in Germany. Yep. And there's a huge music festival with how many people? 60? Uh,
1: 60,000 for, for the headline act.
0: Okay. Uh, and Rue
1: Records was owned by Chris Murphy who managed In Excess. There you go. So I used that contact to say, oh, look, I love In Excess, always have. I'd love to meet them. So we went and met them in their big tent. Behind the stage uh, pre show on yep. the Saturday night. We weren't playing until the Sunday morning. We went in there. Michael was magnanimous, beautiful man, just magnetic, everything I dreamed that he would be. <laughs> um, Shook and, your hand. Oh, well, I sat on his knee at that oh. time as well. We got a photo <laughs> taken. Uh, and this is before camera, uh, digital phones and stuff. So I have no records except for one photo that didn't access themselves uh, put up online a few years ago of me and Michael. Wow. He's got his arm around me and we're on stage. So we, as we were leaving the tent, they were getting ready to go on stage and their tour manager came out and said, Dave, Michael wants to know if you want to get up and do a song with him." And I said, see you later, boys. <laughs> I'm going up with these guys. And we went up and we did Don't Change. And Did you know that that was going to be the song? No, no, he just said what songs, you know, as I always do, all of them. Um, And, yeah, so he said that. um, But prior to going up there, the tour manager had me in front of the stage. They'd lifted me onto the stage rather than me coming up the stairs. And... I was raring to get up there and he kept pulling me back, not yet, not yet. Um, and then I got up there and did that with them. Then we had a big party in the in the hotel. For anyone who knows the Nürburgring, which is where they have the races, uh, motorcycle races especially. It's got like a sloping down uh, hotel on the pit lane. Yeah. It slopes down the track. So we were up in the penthouse today and having a mad party. NXS had to leave and they said, have our rooms, boys, because we were staying, I don't know, on the tour bus, I think. <laughs> um, so we... Did that? We might have uh, thrown to a TV far. out of the <laughs>
0: window.
1: <laughs> but uh, so we did that. Then Sunday morning we played at ten o'clock in the morning. There would have been eight thousand people there, and which is still a yeah, pretty yeah, it's good still, turnout. Still and then um, we finished our show. And Marek Lieberberg, who was the guy who put the uh, who was the promoter, he came to us after that and said, "Do you just want to go on again after Def Leppard, who are headlining this evening?" We're like, <laughs> as if we're going to go on after Def Leppard. He said, "Don't worry." I'll make sure everyone knows that you're staying around to do it. So between every band, Faith No More came off. This band came off. He went on stage and in German. All I heard him say was la, 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 screaming jets after Def Leppard. And so yeah, maybe twenty thousand people stayed around after Def Leppard to see us play again. And and to my knowledge, no one had ever been asked to uh, to perform another set on that uh, on that on that uh, the Rockham ring. So. And
0: did you know that at the time, or no, did we you were just, just like, think, oh, yeah, that's pretty
1: cool? Rock on! You know, we were, we were in a, a, a caravan next to uh, the Black Crow. Ugly Kid Joe were there, Def Leppard, um, Danzig, uh, Robert Plant and Jimmy Page were playing on that bill as well. It's one of my abiding, enduring memories.
0: Well, Dave Gleason from the Screaming Jets, we'll see you.
1: No worries, Jules. Thank you.
0: Thanks. Thanks for listening and if you want to know when the next episodes are available, just subscribe no matter where it is that you're listening to us from and check out our socials at The Move Me Podcast. There you'll find a whole heap of extra information like when some new music is coming out and of course when we're allowed to have concerts when they're going to be. Big thanks to Dave Gleason for his time and our show producers, Audio Lemonade. We'll catch you next time. Bye.